could almost stop right here to sing, ain't nobody do me like Jesus. Can't nobody do do me like the Lord. He's so good to us, isn't he? His mercy endures forever. Well, if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn with me to the Old Testament book of Micah. Micah chapter 7. Micah chapter 7. We're going to read in a few moments a passage from there. We want to thank you for being here today. What a blessing it is that you're here. Because if you if you weren't here, it would be pitiful indeed, wouldn't it? Amen. But because you're here, it's worthwhile. Thank the Lord. It would be a good thing if over the next uh, 24 hours or so, especially, if we could remember in prayer all of our brothers and sisters who are traveling. Um, Eddie and Peggy Mills have had a death in their family and they've gone up north and then we've got lots of several families. My goodness, a bunch of families. I hope they're getting together and having church down at the beach today. As many of them as are there and then some in the mountains. But you know what? That's all right because every once in a while you take off and go somewhere too, right? And me too. And so it's all right. We don't get alarmed. We know this is one of those Sundays that everybody tries to go. Weekend that is long and that's all right. Nothing wrong with that. Micah. In January of this past year, or before that actually, we had proclaimed in our church that 2017 would be the year of the Bible. And what we're doing, most of you are aware that we are, as a church family, we are reading our Bibles through four chapters a day, every day as we read on the weekdays, then By the end of the year, we will have read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. In addition to doing that, on Wednesday night, every week, we take a book of the Bible and we take a look at it in Bible study. This coming Wednesday night, we'll be looking at the book of Habakkuk, I do believe it is. Um, And then uh, on Sunday mornings... We go back to that same book that we visited on Wednesday evening and pull something out of it for the sermon on the next Sunday. So we're getting a good picture of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation throughout the course of this year. Well, the last couple Sundays, as you know, I have deviated from that and haven't gone on Sunday back to our Old Testament text of the previous Wednesday night. So this morning, what I would like to do is kind of catch us up And I'm going to be turning to Micah and then, of course, to the next book, book of Nahum. And today's sermon will come from those two. And uh, there's some things here that I believe the Lord would be pleased with us giving attention to. You'll see on the screen it says the requirements of the Lord. Did you know the Lord had requirements? There are some things that he requires. And so today we're going to talk about that from the scripture. And for your convenience, I have put most all of the scriptures on the screen today so that we could not spend time turning and looking, but we could spend time uh, working through this and allowing the word of God to speak to us. So we're going to be looking at Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. Let's look at the, the verse 18. 
We sang a song a while ago with words very similar to this. Who is a God like you? The song said, who is like you, Lord, in all the earth? Who is a God like you? The scripture says. Pardoning iniquity. Aren't you glad he pardons iniquity? And passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in mercy. Verse 19. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. Now that is our text, at least as we began today. I'd like to go back, Kevin, if you would, to verse 18. Notice the scripture, it, it, it elevates the Lord. It helps us to understand the, the nature of who God is. It says, who is God like you? There is no other God to begin with, not really. But the question is, who is a God like you are? Pardoning iniquity. Delighting in mercy. Verse 19, having compassion on us. Subduing our iniquities. And I like this part too. Who cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Now, I don't know about you, but that's awful good news to me. To know that it doesn't matter who we are, where we've come from, what we've done, how long we were guilty of it. According to the Bible, he is a God who will pardon iniquity. He delights in being merciful. He has compassion on us. That's great news. But here's a phrase that I never had thought about too much, I don't think, until just this week. Where the Bible says, and you will subdue our iniquities. I'd like for you to think about that phrase. You will subdue our iniquities. The word subdue from the original, it means overcome, bring into bondage, or force. In other words, what it's saying there is, That he has compassion on us. He delights in mercy. He pardons iniquity. All of that is true. But then it goes even farther and says, and will subdue our iniquities. He will overcome our iniquities in us. Now, let me, let me put that in, in practical, um, frame it practically for us so we can think about this. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past life. When you come to Christ and repent of your sins, the Bible forgives all of your sins. Amen? Is that true? And we understand that. That's what it's talking about. He's a great God. He pardons iniquity, verse 18. He delights in being merciful to us, verse 18. He has compassion on us, verse 19. And all of our past is forgiven. But then what he does in the, in this next phrase, he takes a step farther than that and he subdues our iniquities. In other words, he doesn't just give grace for the sins of the past. 
He also gives us a very strong remedy for the present and the future. Because it would be sad, would it not? And it wouldn't make a lot of sense either if you think about it. For us to come to the Lord and get forgiveness for all of our sins and all of our wickedness and everything we've done that was wrong. And so he... He forgives us for all that. It wouldn't make much sense for us to turn around then and go right back out and do all the same things, would it? Well, that's just, well, pardon me, but that's just plain stupid. To, to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm so sorry, please forgive me, Lord, for all these things I've done. And then he forgive you. And then you turn right around, like the Bible says, a dog returning to its vomit or a pig going back to the mud hole and doing all the same things you used to do. That makes no sense. So what the Bible says is, he pardons our iniquity. He delights in being merciful. He has compassion on us. But then it says, and you will subdue our iniquities. You will overcome our our iniquities and the sin that's in our lives. Now let me read that to you from the New Testament, 1 John 1, 9. And the New Testament John writes this way. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Can you say amen to that? And then the Bible says, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is, he goes farther than just forgiving us for all of our sins, but then he cleanses us and washes us on the inside so that we don't want to return like a dog to the vomit or a pig to the mud hole. We don't want to go back anymore. We don't want to go do what he's already forgiven us of doing in the past. That's got to stop. So not only does he give us grace in forgiving our sins in the past, but he also gives us a remedy for the present and the future in that he says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And he'll wash you and cleanse you so that you don't have to go back and do all those things again. Now I know some people think you gotta, if you're, if you're addicted, you're always gonna be addicted. And if you're a sinner, you're always gonna be a sinner. The Bible does not say that. The Bible says He will forgive you for what you've done and then give you strength to go forward and be holy and righteous in the sight of God. Amen. God's big enough to do that. You don't carry your same old junk and garbage through your whole life and keep sinning all your life. When he forgives you of your sin, you stop that business because he gives you the grace and the power. The Bible says he subdues our iniquities. He overcomes our enemies. He brings into bond, not enemies, iniquities. He brings into bondage our iniquities. And the Bible says that he takes all of our sins and he casts them into the depths of the sea. I'm going to tell you, that's pretty good news. That's why we were singing a few moments ago. Oh, victory, sing it, in Jesus. Wait a minute, don't sing it. You would never sing this. Oh, defeat, oh, defeat, in the name of Jesus. He forgave me for my sin, but I just keep doing it all anyway. You know better than that, don't you? Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me 
With his redeeming blood, he loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He sprinkled me with, no, it didn't say sprinkled, did he? He plunged me. How many got wet last week? You know, when we had baptism and there was five of those ladies and we put them underwater. When they come up, what were they? They were wet because they had been plunged. Amen. They didn't have a drop or two on them. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. So that's what Christ does in us. And he washes us and he cleanses us. Psalmist said in Psalm 51, after he had, had done those terrible deeds and committing adultery with Bathsheba and then orchestrating the murder of her husband and, and tried to hide it all. And then he came before the Lord in prayer and repented and he said, Lord, wash me and cleanse me, purge me with hyssop so I can be white as snow. Cause he didn't want to go back and do all that stuff again. And it is recorded about David in the scripture that he was a man after God's own heart in spite of all that stuff that he had done in the past. And the Lord will wash us clean and empower us and help us by his grace not to do the same things anymore. I'm going to tell you one thing. It is wonderful thing, that amazing grace we sing about. It is amazing. What God can do for us is amazing. So many people want to come and pray a prayer of repentance and 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 make a start following the Lord, and then return to the same junk that they used to do. That's not biblical. He'll change our lives. Listen, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. What things have passed away? Old things have passed away. What things have become new? All things have become new. I'm different now. I've been changed now. I've been forgiven. And God's grace gives me the strength to keep from doing the junk I used to do. That's the way the Bible teaches it. Now, you may ask this question. Here we are talking about this kind of stuff. And we're in Micah. In the Old Testament. Why should I even care about the prophets or the ancient Old Testament history, you say? It has nothing to do with us. And I'm going to say, wrong. If you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, think that has nothing to do with us. Wrong. It has a whole lot to do with us. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3 verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Now you see the the Old Testament is primarily all about the Jews, is it not? Primarily. It's the story of the Jews. It's Jewish history. Jewish law. Jewish worship. But the Bible says in Galatians 3 verse 8. And the scripture. Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. If you're a Gentile would you say amen? Amen. If you're not a Jew you're a Gentile. Most of us in here today are Gentiles. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify Wipe our slate clean, forgive us, pardon us, be merciful to us, be compassionate to us. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, 
preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Not just Israel, but all the nations. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. From the very beginning, the Bible teaches us that God had a plan to bring us, you and me, even though we're not Jewish, to bring into his loving arms and, and his family and make us a part of, well, the next verse says, Galatians 3, verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are who? Abraham. Abraham's seed. Now, could that be stated any plainer? If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So even though we're not Jewish, we're still Abraham's seed because of what has happened in the promise that was made and the way it was made. Now, I want to go back to verse 20, which I pretty much skipped over. A few moments ago, which says, you will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. Now, you're going to have to think with me. If you will, just reach over there and pick up your thinking cap and put it on and and think with me for the next few moments. I've got it on the screen for a reason. I want you to listen very carefully. Micah lived in about 700 B.C., 700 years before Christ was when Micah lived. Micah says, you will give truth to Jacob. Is that a past tense or a future tense statement? You will. It's future, right? I want you to catch this. Micah says, you will give truth to Jacob. Well, Jacob lived in 1900 B.C., And then mercy to Abraham, who lived 2000 B.C., which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. So what we're saying here is that Micah, 1300 years later, says you will give truth to Jacob. And Jacob's been 1900 years ago, almost 2000 years ago. And mercy to Abraham, who was 2,000 years ago. What's that all about? I will, in the future, give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. And what happens is we look at that, and we, we get so focused in on a man's name, but we fail to remember that Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and how many know Israel still exists today? Right? And Abraham's seed, or those who belong to Abraham, who is that today, according to the scripture I just read to you? That's us. Abraham's seed is us. And if you are Christ, you be Abraham's seed. So what he's, this prophecy is not so much about Jacob and Abraham is as, as it is about Jacob's seed and Abraham's seed, which happens to be us, or it includes us. And he says, you will give truth to Jacob, that's us, and give mercy to Abraham, that's us, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. I'm thankful for victory in Jesus. 
I'm thankful for what God has promised to do for us. It's not limited to the Jews or restricted to the Jews. The door has been opened to us as Gentiles. I will give truth to Jacob and his seed. I'll give mercy to Abraham and his seed, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. Yeah, the promise was given to Abraham, and we tend to discount it because we're not Jewish. And the Bible plainly says, if you are Christ, if you belong to him, you are of the seed of Abraham. Listen, when I, when I'm, the more I read, the more I study, the more I see that we are privileged, folks, to be part of the most wonderful thing on the face of the earth. What God has been doing since the days of Abraham. Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And now it encompasses us as Gentiles. And here we are, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, being called the seed of Abraham now, fully taking advantages of those promises that we're talking about. That is the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness and the pardon and the working of God in our lives. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be a child of God. Listen, if you're, if you're thankful to be a Christian, a born again child of God, you know your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Would you just kind of lift your hands up just a little bit and say, Lord, I sure do thank you. Lord, I sure do thank you. It's a privilege to be a Christian and know that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But now I want you to listen to this. Now we're going to Micah 6 verse 8. I think American Express says membership has privilege. Is that right? Is that what they say? Membership has its privilege with American Express? Well, I'll tell you this. When it comes to being a a Christian, privilege carries with it responsibility. We're saved and we're born again and we're children of God. But I want you to look now at Micah 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You see those three things I've underlined that the Bible says are requirements. This is what God requires. To do justly. To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Very quickly, and I'm going to take these one at a time. Number one, to do justly. To do justly, the word justly simply means, it's really kind of interesting the way this comes about. Justly means to render judgment, a verdict. It means to think right, to be fair, and to be righteous. And we have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Is that not what the Bible says? And the Lord wants us to live in a righteous way. Amen? Not sinning. Not doing um, evil, wicked things. Or even things that would cause the Lord to be disappointed us. But He wants us to do justly. In Romans 12, 1, the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. 
holy, acceptable to God. Is everything out there acceptable to God? Let me ask that one more time. Is everything out there in our culture acceptable to God? No. But we as Christians, having been saved and washed in the blood and made righteousness and been cleansed by His blood, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's talk about being conformed and being transformed for just a moment. Which do you think is harder to do? Is it harder to be conformed to the world Or is it harder to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? What comes natural? Yeah, as a matter of fact, if you don't do anything, you've been conformed. It's easy to think like the world. It's easy to act like the world. It's easy to respond like the world. It's easy to have these same attitudes and and stuff that the world has. That's easy. But the Bible says we're not supposed to be conformed to the world. There again, it's just got to be changed in the life of a Christian. We're not conformed to the world. No, on the contrary, we are to be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Listen, it's going to begin right here with how we think. It's going to begin with how we think in our mind, the renewing of our mind. And if we get our mind right and we think right, then it will enable us then to prove what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God. To to do justly has to do with the mind, to be right in your mind. That way you can extend that out into your life and your actions. Number two, to love mercy. That's an interesting phrase here. I love mercy, don't you? I love the fact that God was merciful to me. I love mercy. Or maybe I could say it this way. I love to receive mercy. But that's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about us receiving mercy. It's talking about us giving mercy. It is a requirement for children of God to be merciful. That is to say, we are to extend mercy to others. Certainly we love mercy coming our way. But you know what? The most hateful, wicked criminal in the court system loves mercy when it's coming his way. That's just natural. But what's unnatural, humanly, but should be natural to the Christian, is that we love to be merciful. In other words... We love to be like Christ in our dealings with other people. We love to give mercy to others. If we understood that, we wouldn't be so quick to criticize other people. Because the Lord calls us to be merciful. As a matter of fact, we cut them some slack, as I said, 
out in the world. Jesus said, why do you do what you do? Why do you criticize that person that's got that splinter in his eye and you've got a two before in yours? Right? I can't help but believe when Jesus said that, they laughed and giggled, kind of like some of you just did. It is such an absurd picture to think that there's somebody standing there with a two before stuck out of their eye. And they're criticizing somebody that has a little tiny speck in their eye. But how prone we are to do that. The Bible says it's a requirement for us to love mercy. Cut them some slack. Mercy simply means to love. Mercy means kindness and favor and pity. I'm going to tell you, that, that spirit that's opposite of that, that's contagious. Did you know that? I've, I have been told through the years and I have learned by experience, don't hang around with people who are negative and critical. Because that spirit will jump all over you. And the next thing you know, it's spread everywhere. I would just separate myself from somebody that's always critical and always negative. Because the Lord calls us to love mercy, kindness, favor, and pity. So don't let that spirit jump on you. Make sure we can be merciful. And then number three, to walk humbly with God. That is to walk lowly. It's the opposite, the opposite of humility is pride. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs 6, beginning at verse 16, that, well, I'll just read it to you. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift and running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. Saying things that are untrue. Misrepresenting the truth. Stirring up trouble. Oh, and then the next one says, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Oh, it's easy for us as Christians to talk about adultery. Amen? And it's easy for us to talk about theft. And it's easy for us to talk about some other things. But I'm going to tell you what, a false witness who's saying things that aren't true. And sowing discord among the brethren and a lying tongue, a proud look, those things, the Lord says, shouldn't be there. We should walk humbly with God. We should walk humbly, lowly. So, in a nutshell, to do justly means you think right. You can't do what's right if you don't think right. You, you have to have your mind adjusted to the way God thinks. We do that from the Bible, incidentally. To do justly means we think right. It's a matter of the mind. To love mercy, that means we need to feel right toward other people. That's a matter of the heart. And to walk humbly equals walking right, and that's a matter of our behavior. We do what's right. And it's a requirement before the Lord. Verse 18 says, again, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity. At the bottom of the screen, delighting in mercy. Verse 19 says, he has compassion on us. 
He subdues our iniquities. He doesn't leave us powerless to be controlled by our own desires and lust. But he gives us the power through the Holy Spirit of God and the cleansing blood of Jesus to bind those things that would dominate our lives. And he takes our sin and he casts them into the depths of the sea. And then verse 20, he gives truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which extends to us all these blessings which have been promised ever since the time of Abraham. The requirements are to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. Have you considered what happens to those who don't take seriously God's requirements? I'm about to end, but I'd like for you to listen very carefully. Have you considered what happens to those who don't take seriously God's requirements? You see, you're either a child of God or you're not. You're either saved or you're lost. Your eventual home would be heaven or where? It's heaven or hell, saved or lost, either you're a child of God or you're not. But conveniently, conveniently in our culture today, we've invented this third category somewhere in between. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about? Well, you know, I'm not really a Christian. I'm not really a believer, but um, I know I'm not going to hell. Kind of sitting on the fence, we might say. Jesus said it this way. You're lukewarm. That's the third category. Lukewarm. And to the lukewarm, Jesus said what? You all know the word. I'll spew you out of my mouth. So there's a caution. And this is our last scripture coming from the book of Nahum, which we studied this past Wednesday night. I'm going to read one verse. Chapter 1, verse 2. The book of Nahum. God is jealous. And the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. And he reserves wrath for his enemies. How many in here have ever been an enemy of God? All of us have. Because the Bible says that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Yeah, we were enemies at one point. Before the Lord came into our hearts and cleaned us up. And we had that old attitude. An attitude that we're not supposed to keep after we come to Christ. Because we're supposed to love mercy now. Because we've been forgiven. Somebody says, I'm not a Christian, but I'm not an enemy of God. Scripture says, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself what? An enemy of God. You've heard me say this before. God has no grandchildren. Because my parents are Christians, and my grandparents were Christians, and my great-grandparents were Christians, that doesn't make me a Christian. 
I need a personal relationship with Jesus myself. Nahum 1 verse 3 gives us the other side of our Lord's countenance as he looks upon people in general. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. Nahum 1 verse 7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. Let me ask you this question. Nahum 1 verse 2 says, God is jealous. The Lord avenges. The Lord is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. He reserves wrath for his enemies. But chapter 1 verse 7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who trust in him. What makes the difference? What, what determines whether you experience the God of verse 2? Or the God of verse 7. They're the same God incidentally. What makes the difference is how we choose to respond to him. Wow. What an important decision that is. Amen. Right where you're seated I'd like for you to sing this hymn with me as we prepare to close. We praise Thee, O God, for the Son of Thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, Thy the glory, hallelujah.
close. Revive us, O Lord. Revive us, O Lord. And cleanse us from our today that you would help us to take a close look at your word and help us to understand there's more to living for you and there's certainly more to pleasing you than saying a prayer and walking away and taking for granted that our our soul has been washed and cleansed when we turn right back around and go to the same things we were just forgiven of. Help us to understand that you want to wash us and cleanse us. You want to purify our hearts and our minds and our attitudes. You want to change us. Your blood has the power to bring transformation into our hearts and in our lives. You never intended for us to stay the same way. You intended for us to be transformed and changed and empowered to live for you and to let our light shine and be the light of the world and the salt of the earth and make a difference here. That's what you've called us to do. So somehow open our eyes, Lord, to the great dynamic work that you want to do in our hearts and our lives as individuals. And the dynamic work that you want to do in this church. Because we are willing to stand on your word and proclaim it boldly. Without apology or backing down. That you call us to be different. You call us to a changed life. You call us to holiness. Not to lukewarmness. You call us to commitment. Lord, not to just be lackadaisical in our walk with you. You have requirements for your people. Your word says, moreover, it is found 
a requirement for stewards, servants of the Lord Jesus, that a man be found faithful. Help us to be faithful to you, we pray, in every area of our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you pardon. Thank you that you cleanse and wash our sins away. Thank you, Lord, that you cast them into the depths of the sea. And thank you especially today for the blood of Jesus that not only brings forgiveness of our sin, but it cleanses us, it washes us, it purifies us, and allows us to live a clean and a righteous and a holy committed life before you. Thank you for that. Help us to be that kind of Christian. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided song continues and you would if you wouldn't mind please just bow your head and close your eyes and if there's anybody here today that would like for this pastor to pray the sinner's prayer so that you could pray it along with me from where you are and mean it with all your heart because you know you've sinned and you want to be forgiven of your sin you want to get it under the blood of jesus And you want Him to empower you so that you leave and you never return to that sin again. He has the power to give you that. If anybody here would like for me to pray a sinner's prayer that you can just join with me where you are, would you raise your hand and let me know? Anyone here today? Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be your people. I pray, Lord, that you would take your word and apply it to our hearts. Help us to think about it this week. Yes, even wrestle with it if we're having problems with what the word of God says. Until you open our eyes and help us to see the great call that you have on our lives and the requirements, Lord, that you have set for us. Minister to your people. Bless those who are traveling and bring them back safely, we pray. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to join together as we've done today. It's in Christ's name that we ask these things and that we say amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. We'll be back Wednesday. The meal begins at 6. It's over at 645. God bless.